0: 2 Timothy chapter 3, our text is going to be verses 16 and 17. This is the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Will you pray with me? Father, again we say thank you, and we echo the prayer that we sang. Speak, O Lord, to us through your word, to teach us, to bring us to repentance, to change our lives, to bring people the gospel. God, do mighty work, and uh, I pray that you will indeed show us your glory. And that's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, Christians, simple question for you this morning. How many of you would like to be more like Jesus and more useful to God? Okay, that's good. I think I heard one of them out there go, nah. If somebody said that, by the way, bring them to talk to me afterwards if you're okay with that. We want to serve Jesus, right? We love that idea. If you know Jesus for real... You want to do what you got to do to put away sin, to turn away from sin, to turn to God. I mean, all in all, how many of you would like it if you knew better how to stop sinning and start living more rightly before God? That's good stuff, right? We're in. What do we need for this? Well, we need to be sanctified, right? That's what the, that's what the, the process is, where you grow more more like Jesus. You, you stop sinning more. You start being more righteousness, uh, more righteous. And y'all, you know, in a word, in a word, we need to learn better how to repent. Would you agree with that? Well, this morning we're doing things a little differently than maybe we are week to week. I always feel bad when somebody visits the church and someone says, well, we're not exactly normal today. But if you all get to know us well, you'll know we're not exactly normal most days. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take us through a little study of the biblical concept of repentance. So first, what we're going to try to do is set forth a biblical definition of what it means to repent then, once we've got that definition before us, a little schoolwork, if you will, then we'll look back at 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 to see repentance as a process in the Scripture that you and I want to follow so we can be more like Jesus. We want to be sanctified. And in the process of working through this, if you're a note-taker, we'll have six quick things to write down besides if some of you want to write down a definition. Okay? So, first we're going to kind of open working together on defining repentance because it's something we need. Repentance is a word that I think, if you're honest, you would have to agree, doesn't receive a lot of good press among most Christians. True? If you hear somebody tell you, repent, what kind of picture do you get in your mind? Now, you should get a joyous picture in your mind of somebody trying to lead you toward Jesus and righteousness. But what's most often in the mind of somebody when the word repent is used? It's, it's somebody, you might think they're angry, unloving, harsh, scowling, pointing their finger. I, I had a pastor friend of mine who was just known for wagging his finger at the congregation and uh, We would all, whenever we would preach in the same church, we would all do it just for a moment, just to mess with him. And he knew we were doing it, It just how it works. But but repent gives this harsh demand mentality in a lot of people's minds. But friends, if that is your picture of repent, when you hear the word repent, if you think harsh, ugly, mean-spirited, I pray God will give you a better, more warm, more biblical view of that word. Now why would I do that? Why would I pray that? Because repentance is one of the greatest gifts in all the world. Repentance is how you and I progressively grow to be more and more like Jesus. Now, y'all know the Bible was not originally written in English, right? The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. So the English word repent, does not find its way into the original language, but there are several words through Hebrew and Greek that have been translated into the one English word repent. And if we're going to grasp repentance, it's important that you and I know the variety of meanings that are behind the word. I want to give you three concepts that are behind what it means to repent. And the first concept is a change in how you think. One of the major Greek words that's often translated repent, it's a compound word that literally means to think again, or to rethink. So I want you to imagine that you're, you're driving down the road happily obeying what you know to be the 70-mile-per-hour speed limit, and then you look up and you see that speed limit 45 sign. Your thoughts change, right? If nothing else, you now know that the speed limit is not the 70 you thought it was, but the 45 that the sign declares it to be. And if nothing else, your mental understanding of what you're doing in comparison to the law will change. Yes? Yes. Okay. That's the first element of repentance. Changing how you think about or understand an issue. Now a second concept behind the word for repentance has to do with emotion. One of the Greek words translated repent like the word that means to think again is a word that means to feel again. See, when a person used to think his or her behavior was okay, was appropriate, was acceptable before God, you feel okay. But your feelings ought to change if you realize that your behavior is unacceptable or inappropriate. If a person loves God, they will feel sorrow when they realize that they're living in opposition to God's desires and commands. So sorrow, godly sorrow, true sorrow, is a second element present in repentance. And then thirdly, there's one more kind of word behind repentance in the Bible, and this last element is represented by Greek and Hebrew words that literally mean to turn. And the picture is quite simple. A man is walking in one direction, and then he turns around, and he goes in another direction. A person who used to lie regularly stops lying and starts telling the truth. That is an example of that third category of repentance. So keep those in mind, and let's see about getting a definition. There are a lot of authors in the biblical counseling field especially who have given us definitions that are pretty good regarding repentance. Paul Tripp says that the biblical definition of repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in the direction of my life. You guys like that one? Pretty good. Change of my heart leads to a change in the direction of my life. Not bad. Jay Adams says that repentance is a rethinking of one's behavior, attitudes, and beliefs, it is coming to a different opinion or viewpoint, one so different that it calls for different thought patterns and a different lifestyle. How's that? Pretty good? Pretty big for a bumper sticker, but not bad. I like them. But I feel like each of those definitions are leaving out Something of one of the three categories that I gave you. So I kind of add my own little twist to, to try to encompass all three biblical pictures that are included in the word repentance. So I would say that true repentance is a change in one's thinking or attitude toward a sin which leads to sorrow subsequently leading to a radical turning away from the sin and turning to God. You want to do it again? How did I know? That's how they are. (laughs) True repentance is a change of one's thinking or attitude toward a sin which leads to sorrow. I'm so glad you guys have desks. Leads to sorrow, subsequently leading to a radical Turning away from the sin and turning to God. If you didn't get all that, it'll be on Facebook this week. Now, I'm convinced, what do you guys think? You guys like that one? Okay. I'm glad you do. I wrote it in a paper a few years ago. I'm convinced that's a good definition. But I doubt very seriously any of you are going to keep that in your head as you walk through life from day to day. So let me do something more simple. To repent means to recognize, reject, and replace your sin. You recognize sin. That's the thinking of sin differently that's in the first part. You reject sin. That includes the emotional sorrow over the sin. You replace sin, which has to do with turning away from sin, turning toward righteousness. That is what it means to repent. You recognize, reject, replace sin. You might keep track of those three, right? Okay, so we've started with this definition idea of repentance. And some of you feel like you're way too back in school, and that's okay. Here's the question. That all sounds well and good, Travis might have some idea what he's talking about because there's you know, some language research, but is this really in Scripture? Is there a pattern like this in Scripture? Is there a passage in Scripture that, with or without using the word repent, shows us that repenting, recognizing, rejecting, and replacing sin is indeed what we do as followers of Jesus Christ? And if so, is there a tool, is there something God's given us to help us to be a repenting people, a tool that God's given us to, to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. Let's look back now at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and we'll find our first point, first of six. First, submit to the scripture to submit to God. Submit to the scripture to submit to God. 2 Timothy three sixteen begins with, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Okay? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Amen. This is a familiar line of text, isn't it? How many of you, If I start, start all Scripture is, most of you can be like, you know what's coming, right? This is familiar to the church. This is a familiar line of text. All Scripture inspired, breathed out by God. And this means that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. This encompasses all of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. This teaches you and me that we can trust the Bible as much as we can trust God. Stop, because I don't think all of you heard that. You can trust the Bible as much as you can trust God. Because God is perfect, honest, and holy, the Bible is perfect, truthful, and holy. Because God cannot make an error, the Word of God, the Bible, in its original writing, is perfect and without error. The Bible is perfect and trustworthy because God is perfect and trustworthy. One more thing you need to realize with this, the Bible is also authoritative. The voice of God speaks in the Bible. What the Bible says, God says. Thus, if the Bible gives you a command, you are reading a command of God with all of God's authority behind that command. I want you to imagine that you are in the military. Some of you really can do that easily, right? Or whatever. You receive, you're in the military, you get a piece of paper handed to you by a courier, And the paper tells you that you are required to report to a particular office at a particular time on the next day. The letter is signed by an officer who has the authority to order you to the meeting. What must you do? You got to obey, right? If you fail to obey the order, you're in deep trouble, right? But what if you said, I didn't hear my commanding officer say it. I just read it on a piece of paper. Would that get you out of trouble? No. You know you would be in trouble because you received the order and that order carries with it your commanding officer's authority. That is a fair illustration of the scripture. Though the Bible is even stronger, you and I have received our orders. We have received the instructions that God perfectly inspired and preserved for us. The Bible carries with it the authority of God. It is the voice of God. And if you want to be a faithful, growing follower of God, you must submit to the Scripture in order to submit to God. So, how many of you are holding a paper Bible in your hands? couple of you some of you have it on screens I I get that I get that take a look at your Bible that's God's word it is how God communicates to you his orders you are responsible for what it says you are responsible to obey it and there are no excuses here There are no free passes here. You have in your hands your orders. The question is, will you obey? Will you submit to the Scripture in order to submit to God? Okay, we know where the authority is, don't we? It's in the Word of God. Now, how do we use the Word of God, those written orders from God, to grow in Christ? Look at this. Point number two... Be taught by the Scripture. Be taught by the Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching. Profitable for teaching, says the Word. God tells us His Word is useful for teaching. And the point here is that the Bible makes you aware of truth you may not have previously known or understood. The Bible is a clear guide to help you to know the absolute truth of God. So let me give you a simple example. Many people grow up in the world that we live in with the assumption that it is okay for an unmarried couple to live together and try everything out before marriage. That is super common, right? Now, if they've not been exposed to a Christian worldview, there may be no guilt in them whatsoever in in what they're doing. But in reading the Bible, a person all of a sudden might find out that they are engaging in sexual immorality and that this dishonors God. Or another example, maybe a person grows up believing all religions are basically the same. They all take you to the same place. The the, the difference is just how deeply you believe in something. They assume everybody ends up in heaven so long as they're a pretty decent person and they're faithful to whatever beliefs they believe. But then that person turns in the Bible to a verse like John 14, 6, and they read Jesus saying, No one, not anyone at all, will come to the Father except through Him. The Bible, speaking with the authority, the voice of God tells this person, hey, your belief about all religions being the same is wrong. There is really only one way for any person to be made right with God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. The first step in growing growing closer to Jesus is for you to be taught by the Bible you submit to the scripture as the word of God, and then you learn what the Bible says. And and get this, when the Bible and your personal beliefs, or when the Bible and your personal values are different, make sure that you understand first what the Bible says, And when you know for sure that your beliefs have been different than what the Bible says, you let go of your beliefs and you think differently, accepting the Bible as God's absolute truth. So in the process of recognize, reject, and replace for repentance, teaching is what? It's recognizing, isn't it? You and I walk through life doing what we do and and suddenly God's word shows us that something we do or what we think is not in line with God. You ever have that happen to you, by the way? All of a sudden you find out you were wrong? Well, we won't change until we first recognize that God disagrees with us and that God is right. This is why it is crucial that you, Christians, be taught by the Scripture. You have to be be taught by the Scripture. Point number three in our message this morning, be reproved by the Scripture. Be reproved by the Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God, by God and profitable for teaching for reproof. Right? Now, the word reproof has the idea in it of the word rebuke you might have that in another translation right that's a strong word it it brings emotion when you get rebuked doesn't it how many of you when you hear the word rebuke think that sounds like a fun thing I remember hearing uh, Paul Tripp talking about biblical counseling one time saying, you know, it is unlikely that any of you have been walking around today saying to yourself, boy, I'd like to be rebuked today. I haven't been rebuked in far too long. You know, he's like, if I get a phone call that says, hey, I, honey, guess what? I just heard that Jason's coming over to rebuke me. All right. <laughs> we don't do that, do we? No. When you rethink truth and realize that something in your life is wrong, what happens? If you love God, if you really want to please God, there's an obvious next thing that will happen, isn't there? You will feel sorrow when you realize you're wrong. You'll feel bad. You'll have Sadness, you'll you'll feel the sting of reproof, rebuke in your life. The point of reproof, of genuinely feeling the guilt that you and I should feel for sin, that's a place in which many of us will interrupt the repentance process. Have you noticed that we live in a no fault, no guilt culture? The main driving motivation behind much of psychological counseling today is to help people to stop feeling guilt for their actions instead of helping them to change their actions. Their guilt is not overcome by changing your bad behavior. Instead, counselors just sit down with people and they encourage them to stop feeling bad about the things that they're doing. Or even worse, let me give you a prescription so that you can't feel bad about what you're doing. And even as I say this, I know there probably are questions in your mind. You you know that there's such a thing as false guilt, right? You ever spend some time feeling guilty over something that wasn't actually wrong? Some people can be very repentant over their own sin and still beat themselves up unfairly over their past sin. Some people feel guilt that has been imposed on them by outsiders other than God. Some people falsely feel guilt for sins committed against them. I get it. I understand. Those are not what I'm talking about here. So let me say this as simply as I can and try to understand it. If you are behaving sinfully or holding to an unbiblical set of beliefs, you should feel guilty. God gives us that kind of guilt to help us change so that we can honor Him. If you are actively living in sin, it should hurt you deeply. And if you can look your own sin in the face and continue in it, it ought to break your heart. In fact, it should cause you to question whether or not you ever came to know Jesus. You know, I can recall on several occasions, I've been a pastor long enough now, and I bet many of you who are believers know this too. Sometimes you'll hear a believer, someone who claims to be a believer in Christ anyway, look at you and say something like, I know this isn't right, but it's what I'm going to do. That's an abominable phrase. It should never, not ever cross the lips of a follower of Jesus. How dare any of us acknowledge that we're doing what dishonors God and then continue in it as if it's nothing more than a point of preference? No, guys, guilt, when we sin, is a glorious thing. It's like physical pain. Now, probably some of you are saying, I don't like physical pain, Pastor. Let's let's have another illustration, please. But let's just ask the parents. Parents, would you want your children to live in a world where they couldn't feel pain right now? Would you like their pain receptors to be turned off, their physical ones? See, if a little child couldn't feel pain, they might lay a little hand on a hot stove and not even notice until that hand was gone. Pain is supposed to help us. Again, I know some of us live with pain that is not a helper, and that's terrible. But God gave us pain to help us know that what's happening is wrong and something needs to be fixed. And guilt, like physical pain, is given to us by God to help us know that something is wrong and we must make a change. Scripture helps you feel the guilt that you rightly should by reminding you that your sin is not only personal, your sin is about God. And any sin you or I willingly commit is us saying to God, step aside, I'm calling the shots today. So as you desire to follow God, ask God to teach you in His Word and then ask God to make you feel the pain that you rightly ought to feel for your sin. Ask God to search your heart and break your heart over the places where you dishonor Him. This is praying that God will help you recognize your sin and reject your sin as you feel the pain that your sin causes you. So yes, Christians, no matter how much it doesn't feel comfortable, be reproved by the scripture. Fourth point. I bet some of you could even guess it if you look at the next verse. Be corrected by the Scripture. Be corrected. Isn't it nice to know, by the way, God's Word just doesn't leave us with guilt and no hope? Correction. This is good. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. That word correction is a word that literally means to stand upright. So the concept here is that something fell down Something got knocked over, and we need to set it back up. And in context, the picture is that you would have Scripture show you that something is wrong, make you feel pain because of that wrong, and then lead you to make a change to right the wrong. Now, one of my favorite videos on YouTube is that one with Bob Newhart as the counselor. And a woman comes to him with a problem. She's got some claustrophobia, some fear of enclosed spaces. And Newhart says to the lady, I'm going to give you two words. And I want you to listen to these two words. And I want you to take them out of the office. And I want you to put them into practice in your daily life. And he assures her that these two words will solve her problem. She gets her pencil out. She gets a pad out. And he says the two words. He looks at her and he says, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Christians, just you and me, nobody else listening, none of these people in this room are going to judge you. How many of you have known a Christian friend doing something just completely against the word of God and all you want to do is take them and say, stop it? Yes? How many of you need someone to do that to you right now? I think we know, though, just looking at somebody and saying, stop it, isn't enough, right? But when you recognize sin in your life, when you feel pain over doing wrong things, stop it's pretty good advice to start with, isn't it? Right? If you have developed a habit of gossiping about others in the church, stop it! Right? If you're looking at things on your computer or television that dishonor God, stop it! If you're dishonoring God by the kind of language you use in your daily conversation, stop it. If you're neglecting doing what's right, stop it by starting to do what's right. The Bible makes it plain that a real portion of the repentance process is for a person to recognize their sin, to hate their sin, and then to put an end to the sinful practice. And sometimes that requires something pretty darn radical. Remember Matthew 5 when Jesus told men, hey, if your eyes cause you to lust, gouge them out and throw them away rather than continuing in sin. Now, Jesus was not promoting some sort of weird form of self-mutilation, but what Jesus was doing was calling us to be willing to do whatever it takes to put a stop to sinful practices. So, if a place that you go tempts you to sin when you go there, don't go there! If you watch a TV show that leads you to sin, turn it off. If you try turning off the TV, but you just keep flipping it back on and going doing what you shouldn't do, throw it away. I remember John Piper talking about people, just throw it out the window. There was probably a crime involved in that, but still, he was right. (laughs) Throw it out. If your job requires you to do things that dishonor God, quit and look for a new job. This is half, uh, you might say, the rejecting of sin, right? And it's kind of half the replacing of sin, right? Once you recognize something in your life is sin, once you reject it, feeling the pain over that sin, you're going to reject your sin by stopping it. Stopping doing what is wrong is the first step of replacing sin. Be corrected by the scripture. Fifth point. Be trained in righteousness by the Scripture. Be trained in righteousness by the Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now training in righteousness carries with it the concept of raising a child to do what's right. Because once you've seen your sin and sorrowed over your sin and stopped your sin it's time for that person to do one more thing you substitute for your sin replace sinful activity with godly alternatives Uh, this reminds me of a really weird teaching of Jesus because I think it illustrates this really well what happens when we try to stop sinning, but we don't replace it with a godly activity? Uh, now, the text I'm going to read to you, by the way, it's originally focused on national Israel and, and their need to turn to Jesus and not just turn away from certain evil practices, but it really illustrates the repentance process well. It's Luke eleven twenty four 24-26. See if this is familiar to you. Luke 11, 24-26. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places looking or seeking rest. And finding none it says I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes it finds the house swept and put in order then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So what was the problem? There's a person, a nation, they don't, they try to drive the evil out of their life, but they don't find anything to replace the vacancy. You will never defeat sinful thinking by saying to yourself, "Don't think about that, don't think about that. Don't think about that." Right? Why not? That's how you think about it. All right, quick. Don't think about football. How many of you got a field or a ball or a helmet in your head at that point? Or where's Jared, a soccer ball? Uh, Right. don't think about pink elephants there they are the more you say don't think about that the more you bring the evil thought back to your mind you need to replace the thought with something that honors God so think about Jesus think about the cross think about God's love Think about the price that Jesus paid to rescue you from your sins. Think about heaven. Replace evil thoughts with righteous ones, and that's where you find victory. But this is not just about thought, right? Any sin is replaceable with a righteous alternative. You and I just have to learn to function in our minds by thinking about biblical opposites. If your sin is fearing man too much, what's the righteous alternative? Fear God. Right? If you clamor for the attention and the affection of people who lead you down a bad path, desire the the affection of the Lord. Right? If your sin is lying, which lying is a sin, what's the righteous alternative? Tell the truth. If your sin is evil, mean-spirited, negative speech, kindness would be a good alternative, wouldn't it? In Colossians 3, we hear, we see a description of the Christian life as, you know what, you take off evil habits like they're dirty clothes. Put off this, put off that, put off this, from 5 to 8, put off this, put off that. But, think about it, in your, in your normal life, because most of you are normal people, when you have dirty clothes that you take off, maybe you even take a shower. I take my dirty clothes off, I get good and cleaned up. Yeah. How many of you just stay without clothes? <laughs> most of you know, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> How many of you, when you get out of the shower and you're clean, go for the filthy clothes and say, I'm going to put these babies back on. No. If we want to be clean, we take off dirty clothes and we put on clean clothes. Right? This is pretty easy, guys. Well, Colossians 3, 9 through 17 tells us that we that we put off yeah. sinful behavior and we, we search the word of God to find the righteous alternative that we can find and that we can put on and that'll keep us from falling prey to sinful desires. So the process of repentance is recognize, reject, replace. We see our sin for what it is, We hate that sin, we feel the pain from that sin, we reject that sin, we turn away from that sin, and then we replace our sin by living out the opposite of the evil we once lived. And you know what that looks like? It looks like what the Bible called training in righteousness. So how do we do all of this? God tells us that His Word is what He inspired Christians to be useful to teach you, helping you understand your sin, to reprove you so that you feel the pain for your sin, to correct you making you stop your sin and to train you in righteousness helping you to put on righteousness in place of your sin so yes submit to the scripture and then god will help you recognize reject and replace your sin that is godly repentance and the tool god gave us to do it and you might just wonder why would i want to go through all of this this is a hard process right Let me give you one last point. It'll be quick. Point number six. Be prepared for good works by the Scripture. Be prepared for good works by the Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work right there is a good reason to learn to repent amen I mean didn't we say earlier you want to be someone who is more competent to serve God you want to love Jesus more and serve him better I want to be equipped to serve God. I want to be used by God to show the world how great God is. I want the joy of doing the things God created me to do and being what God created me to be. I want the joy of knowing that I can be useful to the the master, a useful tool in the hand of God. How in the world could I be useful to God This verse tells us God inspired the Scripture to be useful. The Scripture teaches us to repent, and then it teaches us to be used by God in all sorts of good works. So again, you want to grow? You want the joy of serving God faithfully? Then you have to treasure the Scripture as the instrument God uses for your sanctification. Yeah, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is necessary in your life, and He inspired the Word. Yes, you've got to work, you've got to do work to accomplish the process of sanctification, but the bottom line is, if you want to be used by God, if you want to have joy in God, if you want to turn from sin toward righteousness, you must rely on the Word of God to lead you through the process of repentance. Recognize, reject and replace sin as God leads you through His Word. And this is a day-by-day-by-day-by-day-by-day process of living as a Christian. Let me give you one final little observation here. If you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, none of this works for you. If you don't know Jesus... The scripture is going to tell you, you can't clean up. You can't take off your sin and you can't replace your sin until you are first given new life by God through Jesus. How will God give you new life? It's kind of the repentance process. You've got to see yourself as a sinner You've got to feel sorrow over that and you've got to run to Jesus to find grace turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus for righteousness. Listen, Jesus died as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for all the sins of everyone God's ever going to forgive. And the first thing God wants you to do if you don't know Jesus, the first thing God wants you to know if you think you might not be forgiven by Jesus, God wants you to see that as true. He wants you to confess your sin. He wants you to believe in Jesus. He wants you to run to Jesus. He wants you to turn away from your sin and fall on your knees before Jesus, asking Him for salvation. And the one who turns from their sin and repentance and trusts in the Lord Jesus is one that the Lord has saved. Friends, let's be a people who repent because of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.